Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And today we want to talk a little bit about the human response to anxiety and stress, where it comes from, and how it actually relates to the life of faith, the spiritual life, the good life. Yeah, it's interesting, and we usually don't have a lot of pre-conversations about these conversations that we're going to have. And, I mean, we talk about it, we think through it a little bit, but uh, this is kind of an interesting ground we're trying to cover here. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I think it, there's a great book that I read about like a year and a half ago called Failure of Nerve by a guy named Friedman who was a rabbi and a therapist and... That's one of the most interesting resumes. Like consulted for like the Johnson administration, the army, Department of Defense, all this stuff. But it's uh, it's a book on leadership, and he was a systems therapist. But you know, he talks about how our brains kind of uh, it's like we have the reptilian part that that is the earliest part of our brain development, and then we kind of have the mammal part on top of that. And then we've got the more the frontal lobe, the more rational part developed. And so what happens oftentimes when we're really stressed is we go reptilian. <laughs> we go to the most <laughs> primitive part. Like we become like dinosaurs or lizards in, in that, you know, it's funny because reptiles don't play. Like, you know, mammals play. Like, so it's part of our development that even spontaneity play. And, we're, and when we're uh, most stressed, sometimes we don't feel very playful. We go right. into our... But, you know, I think that a lot of times when we're when we're stressed, really anxious, really taken aback, and, and stressed, we either go fight or flight. Yeah, I think sometimes it's interesting if uh, if in our relationships, frequently we're with someone who may have a different approach. Right, right. And I think sometimes, so if you're in a stressful situation, uh, particularly. If you, if your friends or coworkers are in a relationship, you miss each other in stressful situations. It, it, it might be that you tap each of you are tapping into different approaches to that. Yeah. So, like, if you're one of those people that hates conflict, that it was the thing that you would to avoid a conflict, you would walk three miles out of your way. Your stress point is probably leads to the flight response. If you're the kind of person that can't let an argument go, you've got to sort it out. You'll walk three miles out of your way to sort the argument out or sort out the thing. You're probably closer to the, to the fight response. And in some levels, both of us are very, are very helpful because uh, we all are here right now. You and I are talking to each other, and those of you who are listening to this are listening because in your genetic makeup, you had some ancestors who were faster than the predators, <laughs> and you had some ancestors that were stronger than the things that were trying to eat them or kill them. And they're very helpful defense mechanisms for survival. Yeah, it's interesting. There's this, there's this one scene in the television show Hannibal, which it took my wife, Lindy, and I a couple of weeks just to mourn that it was over. It was so wonderful. But in the beginning, and the creepy thing is, you know, Hannibal Lecter, the Hannibal the cannibal, who's the psychiatrist. The creepy thing is sometimes he's a really good therapist, and you're thinking, gosh, I mean, even though he's a cannibal, I mean, he might be able to help me. But, but in the first episode, he's talking to this client, and he says to him that, that anxiety, that, that the brain is not meant to be in a, in a, in a, conscious, a conscious, a constant anxious state. He says you have to... You have to convince yourself the lion is not in the room, Philip. <laughs> and basically, what I, I mean, fear, right, is like when we, if a lion popped in the room, 
our response is fight or flight. That's pretty normal. Like, but a lot of times in life, there's no line in the room. This is like what anxiety feels like, right? We have all those fear responses, but we don't know what the stimuli is. And sometimes that's where the fight or flight tendency kicks in. And sometimes we're not quite sure what we're fight we're trying to fight or flee from. Right. And I think at some levels we make up things. Why do we make driving on the highways such an aggressive thing? I think it's all this bent up, pent up, you know, you know, fight flight uh, response. It's also why, like people who are uh, survive horrific uh, trauma, uh, people coming back from war zones. Uh, you know, I see it in in the urban folks I work with. If you're constantly surrounded by uh, dangerous situations, it, it it screws you up. It messes up with your wiring. You don't know. You know, you never are safe. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting that Friedman points out for leadership he actually thinks that that a certain kind of empathy can almost be dangerous no he doesn't mean empathy like compassion and goodwill but he means that that the chronically anxious people want the leader to pick up on their anxiety and mirror it when he thinks actually the best thing a, a leader whether it's a, a spiritual community or a nonprofit is actually know themselves right so that when there's a chronically anxious response when people's fight or flight tends to that the, the leader can actually be a calming presence as opposed to mirroring back the anxiety. Yeah, no, I think that's probably, you know, it's one of the most unnerving things in a church, for instance, is if you have leadership who doesn't calm the place down but keeps it in a constant state of agitation. Yeah, I think that that's in, not that anybody that's listening has ever experienced <laughs> meetings like that or anything. But right. So I think this is, so we were talking earlier and I think that what's interesting, if you look at the life of faith, I think oftentimes faith and theology and spirituality actually sometimes, especially like at when, when, when faith or thinking about faith or spirituality or piety, whatever, however you understand it, when it's not at its best, I think it oftentimes mimics the reptilian, it becomes like reptilian theology or spirituality. That there's either a quick, extreme fight kind of spirituality or theology, or there's a there's a, a knee-jerk, extreme kind of flight tendency in some kinds of spirituality and theology. And I think that's actually, just like the kind of calm, anxious presence is generally what helps in the chronically anxious thing, I think a, a, a calm, centered theology or spirituality that avoids the, the, the reptilian instinct of fight or flight, or at least mitigates it, I think actually... Is helpful in the world. Well, I, I do. I, I also think, though, that uh, I think our spiritual in, impulses are are deep within us. I think they may be older than some people give credit to them, you know. And so I do think there's a sense where there can be a constructive religious response to the fight and flight. You know, I think, and there are times spiritually where, you know, even so now, Lord, come. It, it's it's it's. You know, it's a it's a it's a good time to long for a flight from the evil and tragedy of this world. And there's a time to fight the good fight of faith. Faith. But I think what you're trying to say is that when we are being led by those uh, less than conscious impulses, and we spiritualize them or theolo- make them theological, <laughs> they influence our theological formation. That's where you end up in some problems. Yeah, I think actually, like, real grounded faith. And I, I think that you're right. Like, it's, it's not that there aren't 
many situations in life where walking away, dialing it back is the right thing, or where really not walking away from the difficulty or the struggle or the conflict, you know, that, you know, that's often the right thing. But, but oftentimes I think when we get there, it's usually when we're not, when we're less reactive, like uh, there's oftentimes, you know, the, the times we need to really stay in the struggle are times when our impulses are saying, get out, get out, get out. And sometimes when we just say, Hey, we got to wreck, we got to figure this out. We got Sometimes we ought to take a step back. And I think what faith does, real faith, faith that's really graced is actually humanizes us. It allows us to, st- to stand present in the moment, to give ourselves some grace, to actually look at what our options are. And as opposed to like an instinctive reptilian fight or flight, there's a real human centering presence of faith. It actually, I think, can open up options. There's somebody, I think it's Paul Tripp said that most people he knows when they're in crisis and troubled situations, they don't need more information. They need more imagination. Um. They need to be able to re-envision the set of circumstances because oftentimes like when we're caught in that reptilian, like this or this, and we're kind of tense and coiled up, it, more data is not going to help us. Like that We need to reimagine the moment and what's in front of us. Well, I also think genuine Christian community is, is a willful connection to another person. It's not an imprinting. Yeah. I mean, so much of, I think, of Christian community uh, are people just being with people that are like them. Uh, and it's been, it reminds me of, I just heard this on a, a talk show where there's a, a, a crocodile man. I forget where it's at, probably Florida. Uh, and he somehow bonded with this young crocodile. And so he, uh, you know, he gets in there and, you know, the crocodile is now huge now. And crocodile, they play with each other. And the animal expert was just going, well, that's not going to last very long because someday you know, the, the crocodile doesn't love this man. They're not friends. The crocodile is imprinted to this person. Right. And someday he's going to get angry at this person and he's going to think he's another crocodile and he's going to respond to him like crocodiles respond to each other. And that will be the end of a beautiful reptilian friendship. And I think that happens, you know, I think a lot of churches, what they call community, is just an extension of the middle school uh, imprinting and trying to be with people that are like me and, and do they want me? Can they, will they accept me? Uh, you know, I remember telling this one person who was afraid of what some women thought of her at, at, uh, at church. And I said, you know, they're, they're not the mean girls anymore. This is not, hmm. this is not eighth grade. But she was, she was back in eighth grade when the mean girls were not including her in, in the group. And I think, I think that's on the reptilian level. Or, or, you know, that's a lower level of bonding. That's not community. That, that's not even friendship. That's that's a kind of uh, a primal imprinting that by by nature excludes. Yeah, and I think that in the history of Christian theology and Christian thinking, in the early centuries of the church, there were there I think there was a sort of almost groupthink flight tendency. That one of the technical terms would be docetism for a term in Greek that's dokeo, right? That that. Jesus really only seemed human. Like he looked human. He kind of, he looked like, uh, I just watched Terminator Genesis, right? Like the Terminator looks like a human. They've got this, this synthetic flesh, but really they're not. It's so great too. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was just listening to an interview with him. And he was saying that, that when he was thinking about the role 
of uh, he wanted Kyle Reese. He wanted to be the hero, but he was saying, "Look, the Terminator. He can't, he's a machine. You have to watch Jules Brennan in the wet. That one Western. He's a, a robot. He's like, right. You have to take apart the gun without looking at it. It must do. You must. He can. He, he's a machine. He can't. You can't look at him like he's feeling. And so, like, well, Arnold, why don't you play it? No, I mean, it's only has seventy lines, twenty lines. I only had one hundred and twenty in Conan. I'm not going back. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's, he, the, 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 even the moments the Terminator seems like he, he's not right. He's just seeming. Like, and there's this view that Jesus is a divine being who only seems human. He looks like he eats. He looks like he sleeps. Really, he's just closing his eyes. Like the Terminator just starts try, to fit in. And I think there's kind of a flight tendency that really. You know, redemption mean, means getting out of this world, or it mean, or the real redemptive things aren't bound up with, with flesh, blood, history, mud, messiness. That 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 real redemption kind of gets us out of the world of of, of finitude and fragility. And I think that the the flight tendencies were kind of the opposite. And Jesus might have seemed like he had a divine spark. But we all got a divine spark. He's just you know maybe. 98 out of 100 on the divine spark. And most of us, you know, on a good day are maybe 42s or 45s. But if we really become religious athletes, if we really pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and tend to the inner life and rigorous disciplines that we can get, you know, we can get up to the 98 or close. And that Jesus doesn't so much give us a path, open up a way of redemption, but gives us a plan for self-improvement. You know, it, it, I just dawned on me. It's a shame I'm not teaching early church history anymore because I could use the Terminator for Gnosticism and the Docetic tendencies, and Rocky could be my Aryan. Absolutely, that's great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you have two perfect films. You have, you know, you have two perfect. Well, I, you know, I think. And then you can have like a scenario, like, okay, who wins? Arnold or Sly? Like, we're gonna have we're gonna have a church history council where Stallo Sly fights the Terminator. Oh, my. Well, uh, I, I do think we, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of life is found in the balance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of theological formation is found, you know, most proper theological statements are a balance between two extremes. And how the two extremes hold together is a mystery. You know, I, I do think there's a sense where uh, there is a lot of Escapist Christianity, and and you know, on one level, they get that honest from the from the New Testament. I mean, they everybody thought Jesus was coming back to get us out of this world, and and so there is a, there is a sense where we have to adjust. We 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 don't always get a chance to run away or be taken away from from situations. We can't always run fast enough from our problems. The other thing is true too. We're not always strong enough to overcome. I mean, we we want to be better people. We want to transform the world. We want to uh, be the kind of church we should be, but none of those things ever happen. And I, I, to be honest with you, a lot of violence I've seen done, whether it be on national denominational levels or the rhetoric you hear at certain Christian circles, is just not being honest about what we can accomplish or having you know, a rhetorical view that we can conquer everything but in reality, we can't even conquer our own our own tendencies to dislike the people that we worship with. So I, I think that um, uh, both of them are legitimate options in certain situations. But in the long haul, uh, we can't be exclusively either. Yeah, I think that it's interesting. You think about John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, kind of wide-eyed, you know, 
kind of funky guy, this apocalyptic prophet, like John came on the scene and said, the, the coming of God, you know, the, the, the day of the Lord, you know, the, the, re, the end of the world, the remaking of history, it's not yet, but it's soon. So let's get ready for it. Right. And, th- and that was not an uncommon message in, in Judaism of the period. Apoc- people that, you know, you, it, it's the version of people that have the end is near kind of uh, placard signs and, hey, it, get ready because it's coming. I think Jesus changed that to from not yet but soon to already and not yet. That the kingdom's come, it's present, something really new is here, and yet it's also coming. Which I think is a really... Well, I think, I think Paul, Paul's interpretation of Jesus is what brings that. Well, but you, you can see Jesus, you see both strains in the New Testament. Sometimes he says the kingdom, he gives it's apocalypse, he, right. and sometimes it's here, it's in you, it's among you. Or it's I mean, close. Yeah, it's, yeah, so I think, yeah. But I think what Paul does with it, though, and I think what the church has done at its best, is it makes space for both like acceptance, that you're accepted, you're embraced by grace, there's a new reality, and yet you're on the way. Like it's already, and there's a not yet dimension to the, to the which is neither, I think, neither f- fight or flight. It's something kind of, and that faithfulness is something, it's, there are elements of, of those things, but maybe in a more redemptive, creative tension. Well, you know, on some levels, Christianity is a response to a couple failures. Christianity is a response to the failure of Second Temple Judaism, okay, which ultimately ended in uh, the tragedy of fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think there's a sense where um, since Jesus' return was delayed, okay, uh, and, you know, the also the the tendency of, of kind of elite spiritualities, whether it be Stoicism or a kind of a, a mystery religion where you... Or like Scientology. That's like an elite <laughs> spirituality. It's only for like Tom Cruise, Travolta. Right. Where are the poor Scientologists? Like I never, you never, you never drive through like a rough neighborhood, like in Northfield or Cambridge. I don't know, are the Scientologist missionaries. <laughs> They're canvassing, looking for recruits. They're always like in Beverly Hills or yeah. South Beach. It's very interesting outreach strategy. Well, it, it is. It sounds like... Uh, Looking for the key kids. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think the idea that in reality of, of Christianity, because of the incarnation, doesn't let you have a spirituality that totally flees. In other words, Christianity could have become a mystery religion, but the incarnation wouldn't let it. And even our mysteries, the mysteries that we celebrate, the sacraments that we celebrate, are really around very flesh and blood events. Yeah. So there's a sense where... Even Christian spirituality and mysticism uh, is always balanced, if you would, a, a flight kind of away from the world, is always balanced by a, uh, the great mystics were people who were very involved in the world as well. The same is true where I think you know, people who just talk about social transformation or talking about living the radical gospel, who, who, are, not, uh, who are trying to fight the fight without being... Uh, connected to the mysteries, uh, they're ultimately going to be selling things that they don't, they really can't deliver. Yeah, it's interesting that that nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about us building the kingdom of God. There's inheriting it, receiving it. You know, we're receiving, but but this idea that it's something that we build from the ground up is oh. it's pretty alien to the soil of. There's the, there's a I, that makes in fact you're saying it's there's an awful song that I sang the other night at church. <laughs> 
that it's some some of that post Vatican II uh, liturgical music is some of the worst that came out, and <laughs> and so we are building the city of God. And I kept wanting I wanted to stop and say no. You wanted to put a liturgical protest I in, in case say, God worries about that stuff in judgment. I want it known. I didn't sing that verse. I, you know, I'm not worried about God's judgment. I just go no, you know, <laughs> no. That's not what we're doing. But uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think. Uh, First of all, what's to me beautiful is that our spirituality and the faith can embrace those very primitive tendencies within us. And in some levels, um, you know, we t- you know, God created the reptiles, and, and you know, there's a there's there we have this common <laughs> we have this common origin, and wiped a lot of them out to give us a chance. Right. I mean, like I, I had a, a kid in a class that was telling me that like we were talking about he was arguing the dinosaurs and human beings were on, on the planet at the same time. We wiped them out, just like bears. There used to be bears all over North America. I said, have you seen Jurassic Park? Terra Nova? <laughs> I mean, we never beat the dinosaurs. Even when we have guns, we don't beat the dinosaurs. <laughs> I mean, I, unless God said uh, an extinction event for us, we really, those little, uh, our, those little uh, uh, mammals didn't have a shot. They were staying in their holes. They stayed in the <laughs> Gulf, yeah. So I, I think there's a sense where there's, there uh, is a redemption and a place for who we are as humans, and always an opportunity for us to rise above that. Yeah, I think if the if the, those reptilian again, I think if if those it, it's if the reptilian kind of impulse and anxiety responses, they actually dehumanize us. I think in that they kind of take us back to where we had less of a full self. So I think real full orbed mysterious centered faith actually humanizes us. I mean, it really... Oh, no, I agree 100%. It allows yeah. us to, to, to be present in situations, again, with, with more imagination and more space to act or not act or, you know, pull back or, or move in and towards with grace and patience and hope. And, and when... when Christ had to face the cross. He chose neither. Yeah. He neither fought nor did he run. Or least in the morning. Go ahead, please. This is about your grandfather. Yeah, it's about my And this grandfather. is the song that and came out of it. You know, it's also about um, it's about also knowing in your heart that you may never reach that glorious moment until you die. So live life on the edge, you know, halfway between heaven and hell, and let the old dance in the middle in purgatory. Hmm. There ain't a reason you and me should be
I'm married. You're already married. I have wow, we that was that good. was beautiful. Holy, wait a second. No, no, don't sit right there for one second. I got to ask you something. It, 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 that was beautiful. Oh, thanks. I really was moved, and uh, you've got some voice. I mean, you're really an unbelievable performer, and that's one of the best live performances I've ever had on my show in all the oh, years I've wow. been here. Really. Well, thank you so much. So thank you for that. 